This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, it's Caroline Keep. Um, nice to have you today. I'll be talking to John Sybil about tech and digital should be a corker. So tune in, give us a text, give us some messages, let me know where you are, and let's see whether you're all in and awake. If you're not, I'm hoping you're catching this on catch up. So um, come and have a talk to us. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, good morning. So I'm just checking that I am in and that John is in. John, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you. See, we are just nice and fabulous. <laughs> you know what? You always have that panic when you come in. I swear it brings me out in like haughty, like almost kind of like <laughs> I forgot them in. Are they in? Has the tech worked? So um I'll just give you a quick intro, John. So, uh, John, uh, uh, do you know what, John? Do I say your second name right? Sybil, isn't it? Perfect. Spot on. First time round. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, do you know what it is? It's my, my previous name is Christiansen, so uh, uh, mine was awfully complicated at moments. But, yeah, John Sybil is an experienced digital leader. He's had 30 years working in secondary schools. He was uh, commissioned to deliver some of the... Uh, digital skills audit for Manchester City Council. He's worked on digital pretty much across the UK. He is an absolute legend in the area. What, and, an, um, what, what an intro, Cal. Thank you so much. Yeah, it is. It is. And to be honest, um, he, he's a really good friend. So because we're both in digital, today I wanted to have a good talk about what we think about whether this is working and and our experiences of working in kind of the digital field really you know what do we think is has improved do we think it's working do we think it's 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 doing what we want it to um and what and why all of us are in it so i figured we'd start with how did we, how did you get into it john and i'll tell you how i got into it well it's it's funny you say that so back in 1981 um, I remember the BBC computers arrived at my uh, comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, computer science had just come out, I think, as a subject, but but mainly it was niche. And, and I remember our Mr. Barron, our head of um, chemistry, he basically wrote programs to help us revise for A level chemistry. So it was mm-hmm. it was kind of being used in really weird ways, but mm-hmm. and, and quite often in the maths department and stuff. So so when it came into education, that was very much kind of where it sat. And I think mm-hmm. then. Computer science grew as a subject. When I first started teaching, um, computer science was quite in a, you know, it was, that was what I taught. It was the first subject. That was 1988. Mm. And, and it was an established subject and, and in schools. And then we had sort of IT came along, which was an interesting thing, in, information technology, which obviously the national curriculum. Yeah. Um, and, and you sort of had two camps then. You had your IT people and your computer science people. Mm. And then if you kind of fast forward to, it changed its name, information systems, and then information technology again. 
But then, of course, we had the changing government in 2010. And, and you know, was it Eric Schmidt from Google coming over? And Michael Gove kind yeah. of taking his, you know, IT is just Microsoft Office and blah, blah, blah. And we had this new computing curriculum bought in. Hmm. Um, there's some inter- interesting history on that. It nearly didn't make it into the EBAC, you know. Um, um. It, 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 they, they were basically given a weekend to write the new computing scheme of work. Hmm. And so it's fag packet stuff, really seat of the pants. But to be fair, like the British Computer Society, they, they made it. Do you know what I mean? They, they, yeah. they did it. I think for me, then what happened, and I will shut up in a minute, they, you had a lot of teachers who were really good teachers of IT. Hmm. And, you know, when I taught IT, it wasn't just Microsoft Office. I, I had kids doing Visual Basic in the background, in spreadsheets and all sorts of things. So the hmm. kids were learning the digital work skills they needed, but also they were doing coding. But I think what happened with the new computing curriculum is, I talked to Alan uh, Donoghue about this, a term I came up with was the fetishization of coding. Uh, yeah, you know what, Alan O'Donoghue had said that to me and I laughed for about 10 minutes. I was like, oh, you are so right. <laughs> but, oh, and, and, you are so right. But it wasn't, like... it wasn't the teacher's fault. It was just those teachers who were probably business studies teachers, commerce teachers, they, mm. they were just... They just knew that was the gap in the learning. And what, and so everyone started panicking about coding. And it just became this, right, really nerdy thing. And I, I don't have a problem with computer science per se. I think it, as a pathway, I think it's valid. But I think it's it's been pushed up there. A lot of money spent on it with the, the National Computer Centre for Education. Yeah. A lot of really good people doing great work. But if you think about kids leaving school, particularly girls, hmm. You know, yes, you need to know how to code, but there's also the user experience, there's the design. Mm. And, and that bit for me is what's been lost in terms of skills. So, yeah, great. We've got computer science, not a problem. But I think we've thrown out a lot of good stuff over the past 10 years that we were doing before. And, and I think that's that's sad. Um, so that's kind of my my thing. Other than that, I didn't do a computer science degree. I hated it. I got a third because it was full of nerds with V-neck jumpers. Um, and it just wasn't me, do you know what I mean? But so, but see, we're at it. different ends because I've done, I've just done, yeah. a, as you know, a data scientist masters in computer science. So, yeah. like, I, I've, I, I'm probably I'm that V-neck nerd. However, <laughs> however, I'd probably say, you know, um, you know, you, you'll know the background. I'm a maker, so I got into it through a completely different route. I got into teaching via making, so I was already part of the tech community and, and science community and engineering before I came into teaching. Yeah. And um, when I set up um, the first makerspace and started getting kids coding, I wanted them to be coding like physical computing. I didn't, I didn't really see the point as lots of computer scientists were where it was like, why are we building this? You know, you're just yeah, practicing yeah. loops. This is boring. I have no idea why you're doing that. You know, if, you, if you're using code, you were using it to build something. Yeah. Um, he wasn't just kind of practicing it. Um, and even, you know, when you practice, you tend to practice with like a, a mini project. So I kind of wanted it there. Um, and I, I'd done some work in HE before I came into education. And yeah. I yeah. always get this moment where I think people really haven't read my stuff in HE, have they? Because they always make the assumption that I'm like ultra pro tech. But actually, when I, when I was in HE, I, I really found that there was... You know, there was a, a very much a drive for, you know, innovation and ed tech and, you know, you had to code and you had to do innovative stuff and everybody needed to leave to be Elon Musk. And, you know, if it, if it was in these days and um, 
I used to say things like, yeah, well, you know, not everybody can be that. And actually, everybody shouldn't. You know, you don't want your pharmacist being creative about things, do you? <laughs> and no. they'd look at me like confused. They'd be like, no, this, <laughs> you know, you don't. You don't want an innovative pharmacist, do you? You know, you. I, I, that's probably not the way to go. So what you need to do is have a, a nice balance of, you know, people who, who really, you know, you learn solid skills because the, you, we need yeah. them and then you yeah. need innovators. Yeah, but we probably don't need quite as many innovators as we think. Um, and actually, there's there's two ways of looking at that. And um, for digital and code, I used to have this moment where uh, when I opened the first space, me and Pete Lomax are good friends, one of the, the co-creators of Raspberry Pi. And he came and said that thing like a true maker. Um, on the day that I launched the first one was, yeah. you know, it, it it doesn't matter, you know, what what you do with the Raspberry Pi, you know, it's just a tool. It's just what you do with it that counts. And well, it's like, big... yeah, it is. It's just a tool. So to me, tech is just a tool, you know, whether it be a micro bit or whether it be, you know, Raspberry Pi or whether it be physical computing or 3D printing or whatever it is, you know, what tools you use are pretty irrelevant really there's certain skill sets you can learn that are going to be useful for those tools but it's really about what you're going to do with it exactly so, it's, it's that problem solving in real life yeah real life problems that and i've always thought that the work that you've done Kaz, has been very much in a sense you're almost yeah. an engineer you yeah. identify you're identifying a problem and you're solving it but you're applying the digital tools that you've learned and yeah. sometimes you might need to add to that repertoire in terms of the yeah. tools you need because it might be an Arduino or it might it might be something else yeah, that yeah. you need to use to help you solve that problem. But but you're right, not everyone I think we all innovate in little ways along the way. But yeah. we don't all have to be innovators all the time, if that makes sense. No, and I think we you know, my background, you're probably right, I'm you know, my background's engineering. So I yeah. can't I, I'm kind of an engineer, I've always been an engineer, mm. you know, so it's always been very much like, well what are we trying to achieve it? You know, and it's, um, yeah, I could build, you know, a really great sensor that could measure distance on a robot. That would be awesome and it would be wonderful. But I could also use a tape measure, you know. So yeah. it's like, you know, I'm all for the easiest options. So, you know, when, it, when you look at teaching and how you want to teach, you know, quite often I'll, I'll use, sometimes I use tech in my classrooms, but very rarely do I use it if I'm teaching physics. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's some things are not going to be, are not going to be um, great for that, you know. It's it's. I'm not going to be using you know full blown you know um, digital kind of skills to be able to teach you know force equals mass. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> it's, yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's pointless um, because there's better ways of doing it. Although, but although, just if I'm that... teaching certain things, yeah. you know, when I look at it, I think, well, actually, that could really, really impact my students, or actually, could really engage them. So I use a lot of mine in kind of enrichments or engagements to get them thinking about what kind of jobs and careers and skill sets they want for yeah. later on. I think that's I, what I do. I think science originally was a bit of a home for, yeah. for co coding. I remember people who did physics and chemistry degrees. I mean, talking in the eight, in the early 80s, they yeah. always did a course on Fortran. Because yeah. Fortran, Fortran was the language which helped you plot a graph, basically. So if you're mm. doing an experiment and needed to do some numerical analysis or calculus, then yeah. Fortran was the, was, the, was the language that you go to as a scientist to support yeah. you in the scientific method, if you like. Yeah. Um, 
I use it for a lot of plotting, actually. So data, yeah, yeah. collecting data. So building yeah. data loggers left, right, and center, I'd use it for my data. You know, like, yeah. it's great for that. You know, you want to demonstrate what's going on in your classroom and you want to, you know, you're doing stuff on kind of biology, you build yourself a little greenhouse, you plot all the data. You know, or, you know, you measure things like you, you stick a, a, a data tracker to kind of like a, a um, basketball and measure, you know, angles, forces, arcs. It's great to show. But, you know, when I was kind of like, am I going to spend all the lesson coding something? Probably not. No, you know, no, no. It, it never really, I never really had them doing it. But I used to see it a lot in computer science. But then I was kind of like, well, what is this? What are you, <laughs> you know, there was kind of like a lot of straightforward code, but not a lot of purpose for it, yeah. if you get my point. And I feel like that's just slowly changing over these last couple of years. But I just don't think that it's got there yet. You know, it's... um it's very dry still and it just you're right it seems to have lost a lot of the skills that go alongside that coding you know it, it's there's the user design and what you design in the first place there's the explanation for what you're putting together there's the english there's the maths part you know there's there's a whole bunch of stuff there that have just been stripped out just for the you know here's a python script <laughs> I think I, I think you're right i think the, the, to be fair on the ncce they asked me last year to write a module on it was it was collaborative what was it called collaborative uh, coding because mm. one of the things with the computer science gcse well, i did a i did an audit for manchester city council on a digital yeah. audit across the city including sand schools and one of the things we noticed was that um computer science per se you know in, t in terms of take up and so on but a lot of the kids you know weren't actually collaborating they were just working on their own on a bunch of code yeah and then we ha we had the debacle with computer science remember in the first year with the with the that there was like a board set assignment and oh of course, gosh yeah of course what yeah i mean talk about there was only one solution to it right there weren't multiple solutions so there's one solution so what do the kids do somebody puts it on on social media and everyone copies yeah. it so so actually now you've got a subject now computer science and you talked about it being dry in theory you could take that exam and go nowhere near a computer. Yeah. Seriously, you because you could do everything in pseudocode. You could just mm -hmm. learn all the theory and go into an exam and get a half-baked grade, but you wouldn't actually have to go and do any coding. Now, let's fast forward to industry and how people work in, what, in tribes yeah, or like scrums and all the rest of it. Everyone's working together. You've got a big bunch of code. Now, when we did the audit for Manchester City Council, one of the things it highlighted about, particularly about digital, and, and this was when schools were still doing three-year um key stage four and some schools mm. are still doing key stage three three-year key stage four but actually after year eight a lot of students had no digital input so mm. they were leaving school and, and they, they can go on tiktok and they can work synchronously right mm. they can work synchronously with technology but what they can't necessarily do is work asynchronously and the, the idea is is like when you send an email um and you can send it scheduled or when you receive an email and you read it and someone's asking you to do something by a certain day yeah. um one thing you do as an adult which which you just kind of learn by osmosis is you learn to file that email away mm. and then you do a bit of you do a bit of work thinking right the email was sent on this day the work needs doing by then and in your head you start to diary it so, but that's working 
asynchronously. It's a different way of working. Now, all yeah. those kind of, that's just one example. I could give you countless other examples in terms of searching through the internet, in terms of, you know, uh, using a spreadsheet to, to budget and so on. But mm. those skills, kids were coming out of, skill, out of school without those skills. And we yeah. think of them as the, this digital native thing, which I absolutely... Oh, no. Uses that. It's, no it's, it's, it should be banned. It should be banned. I think Nobody that's swearing, but I won't because on the radio. But no, it's that, it's that idea that kids, are, kids actually leaving school without the skills they need to survive in these new industries. And, and that was one of the main things that came out of the Manchester High School audit. Now, that was published. Mm. Uh, th there was um, Andy Burnham had a digital summit. It was the mm. Digital Blueprint Summit in February. Yeah. And I spoke at that, and the report was just being published. And literally, it was a COVID was a month away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember at that, at that kind of summit kind of saying, we've got this thing coming along. It's going to radically change how we work. And I'm yeah. not sure whether kids are prepared for it. The rest is history. And I don't even think teachers are prepared for it, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, if we get so, into kind of like the COVID type scenario, I think you did some some with us, didn't you, on the home learning part and on the, the stuff we did with the Ed Foundation where we published a whole bunch on, you know, COVID warnings and, and, that's right, and COVID that's right. stuff. And to be honest, it just, nobody was prepared for it. You know, no, absolutely no. nobody. I remember coming back and saying, I don't think that we're, this thing is going to get worse. I'd spoke to, uh, when I was at Bet, literally that month and at the yeah. EdTech 50, and I'd spoken to some of the Kettle School um, and sent over some information because they'd, they'd reached out and said it's going to be bad and they're in Hong yeah. Kong. And um, we, we put our warning and said like, oh, this is, this is bad. We come back to my school at the time and the trustee was like, this is this is serious, it's going to be lethal. Yeah, we, we really need to upscale our, you know, our, our ed tech. And everybody was like, nah, it's a bit of a cold. And it was like, nobody thought that it'd be like that. And I was kind of like, right, well, you know, let's just prepare everybody that, so that they know how to get on teams and they know how to do that. But luckily enough for me, we had a I'd spent, obviously, I've been doing a digital pathway, so a lot of my stuff at the time for, for the trust I was in involved some basic tech skills. You know, it didn't, it wasn't always like, oh, we do robotics. I know everybody loves me doing that. But it was like, you know, we also know yeah. how to get into yeah. our, you know, our, our team's classroom. We know how to communicate, you know, by a messenger appropriately. We know how to send, you know, you know decent emails. It's like those kind of skills that used to be in IT, absolutely isn't is no longer there so it's yeah. just like let's just check that everybody can do that you know and then obviously that helps streamline it later but we do we i think we didn't we weren't prepared for that at all and then we, no. we seem to pick the i don't know about you but i felt like with covid they took all the worst of ed tech and put it online <laughs> it was just like oh god the worst way of doing everything we'll put it online and we'll try and teach you that way and it was it was um it was you know I, I was desperate getting back in a classroom and I think everybody thought like a lot of the ed tech teachers would be like oh this is amazing we get to do it all online now and I was like no 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 <laughs> I don't like this do you know do you know do you know what Kaz it was funny you say that because when I first left teaching I went to work uh I had a six-month contract with an organisation called Tutor, who are based in Wrexham, and yeah. they've been they've been providing online lessons into schools for about ten years, and they, they do they do kind of niche subjects like Latin and law online, you know, where you've only got like three kids in a sixth form who want to do it and stuff. But yeah. they also do quite a lot of inter intervention work with Prues and kids who, mm. particularly kids who, who aren't comfortable in the school environment and and actually work better online. Mm. Um, 
So, and I, I, my job there was to look at the teacher standards and develop a set of virtual teacher standards, which was really interesting. So yeah. what, what does, what does good online teaching look like in terms of pedagogy? Yeah. And, and, and that, that was, that, that finished at the end of, when was it? Uh, it's five years ago, exactly. Um, and it was all very interesting. And I remember thinking, well, that was an interesting experience. And I'll just kind of park that. But mm. it, when the EdTech demonstrators came along, which was obviously headed up by, by Ty, Ty Goddard and the London Grid for yeah. Learning, and, and, and they pivoted the, EdTech, the um, EdTech demonstrators to help with... Um, COVID. Yeah, exactly. massively so. It, 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 I, I had quite a lot of research there, which was really useful in terms of that immediate response. Mm. And um, I, I noticed, actually, uh, Louise Asprey's joined us today. She's, she's listening in. And Lu- I work with Louise at Oldham Sixth Form College. They're now a research school. And we... We had a really good partnership there where I could kind of talk about the practicalities and Louise could really back it up with strong research evidence in terms mm. of actually we know this works. Yeah. Um, That's the bit that's always, like, it feels like it's missing, isn't it? We know this absolutely. works. I miss that bit. Like, I, I like to know that something works before I want to do it a lot of the time. I'm not afraid of trying a few things, but then I want to, you know, I want good evidence on things. I feel like we're missing it with that. How is your... totally true. What did you get out of that that was, you know, because we may end always, you know, there's always a risk now, I think we all know, that we may end up back into that kind of scenarios. I mean, what did you find worked best with that? And it was actually drawing on other research. So there's people like Daniel Muji, um, mm. also obviously Rosenstein's principles made a big comeback yeah. during lockdown. And I think it was actually saying, what does good pedagogy look like in the classroom in terms of sequencing of learning, pace, all yeah. the rest of it? And how can you take that good practice and what does that look like digitally? And I think that's the bit that hasn't been done. There was some great research that Louise and I found from Canada, which talked about presence. Mm. And it talked about how a teacher is present in the classroom and how they're present in the virtual classroom. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that thing we call setting the weather in the classroom and what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. But what does that look like? when you're in teams, because it's hard. And then the other presences were things like uh, academic presence and Mm. then social and emotional presence. The fact that if a child did put their hand up, that they would feel confident to answer and not get put down because doing that in the classroom is very different to clicking on the hand up in a a learning online space. So a lot of it, it was that thing around presence and getting teachers to really think about, look, you're a brilliant classroom practitioner you are you will be a brilliant online practitioner and this is how you do it in terms of skills the tools that are available in teams etc yeah i think we've got a lot of work to do on that i mean i i was i was glad that the education endowment foundation came out with some really clear guidance about what they felt was um was good um online teaching practice and it was um but i i can't say that you know don't get me wrong you know i'm pretty good online but i didn't enjoy it (laughs) <laughs> like no. I don't think anybody did and I think it was just because it, I, I don't naturally think that we should ever view tech as a you know a whole a, a replacement for no. teaching no. and I think that's the other thing so you know um online does and 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 digital teaching it allows you to expand outside your classroom and it allow you to you know move into an engagement and enthusiasm and enrichment it allow you to kind of stretch and challenge but you know it's never going to replace a kind of a classroom teacher absolutely it felt like that was like oh we're going to replace classroom teacher with this online one and it was just like oh no i just nobody's going to like this (laughs) it's funny you know there's there's a book that came out i think it was written in 1910 by ian forster it's a short story it's called the machine it's called the machine stops 
And for some yeah. reason, the human race is now living in a honeycomb underground and nobody ever gets to see each other, even yeah. your family. And you all have a screen and you all have a speaker and all your needs are met by the machine mm. under the ground. And, and you're kind of being told that, you know, I think nuclear war or something, but the, yeah. you can't go on the surface, it's been polluted. And I think you can travel by airship. It's a fascinating short story. It's called The Machine Stops Ian Forster. And it really was a bit of that of actually like, this isn't yeah. the way to live in terms no. of education, but it's actually helping us in a gap now. But what I will say is the learning from lockdown, and I think this is the pivotal moment. I was talking to Emma Darcy, Emma's on the call as well, yeah. uh, over the summer. And we were talking about, everyone's been back in the classroom now for nearly a year. And it's like, phew, and there's been such a lot to deal with, massive teacher shortages still even at the start of a term going on yeah you know the, the finance situation da, 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 da. And, and, and actually right now people don't almost want to know about ad tech it's like oh my god that that no. nightmare that we went through no i'll but, run away from it now quickly but, but it's strange isn't it they're not really looking at s some ed tech they are but some ed tech they're not so like kind of like online learning teams classroom nobody wants to talk about that now they all they all want it to go away yeah i've found you know people coming to me saying can we do physical computing yeah. seems to be like a list of how long so it's yeah. kind of like you know those kind of traditional sort of um enrichment seem to have moved on a bit you know and that everybody's very keen on them but not keen on some of the you know the more standard sort of ed tech you know that we did use during that period but well, you're right, i one. think everybody it, it, lot learned a lot didn't they they did well here's another one okay and it's the one I, i'll you'll anyway i'll take it anyway you know during lockdown this time in the january 20 21 it was forget the time mm. time with it was that time where so many people ran into school and picked up and dusted down that visualizer which they stopped using in the classroom yeah. because they needed it at home yeah. now i think a lot of schools now particularly things like the visualizer or if they're screencasting from a tablet if they're lucky enough to have that kind of tech yeah. in school they're actually really thinking now about how they can use that for modeling modeling answers you know modeling yeah, you know brilliant. peer assessment all that so i think there, was the, there were little things like that but what hasn't happened, you're right, there hasn't been an in-depth analysis of what teachers learn and what they've taken back in the classroom. But I do think now, I was saying to Emma over the summer, I think there's that point where I think people will go back to it. I think they will reflect on it. Now they're confident back in the classroom and things are, there's some sort of normality that they remember yeah. in terms of teaching and learning. I think I think people will start to reflect and go back and will start to to kind of tinker again and think well that was really helpful or actually i've got this screen in the classroom but mm. i don't ever use it interactively and why is that because mm. it's got this functionality you know so it's those kind of things and i think there's but, another there's another driver behind this just to add in, in terms of sustainability we always think sustainability is like moving to cloud this kind of thing but if a school is spending a whole shed load of money on 50 visualizers then we need to make sure that those assets are sweated and used properly yeah, while yeah. just going back in a cupboard. Do you know what I mean? I I, I love that. I think you know one of the as as you know my PhD is on digitalizations in schools, and one of the things I'm doing is looking at a whole um, the whole of the education system and seeing how we've digitalized and and how we've gone about it and and what kind of decisions we use for it. Yep. Um, yep. We're using something called. Um, multi-decision making criteria which is a very posh sort of algorithm for something very complicated ai but basically what i want to know is um how we how do we make those decisions more effective because i feel like sometimes we do like oh we'll buy all of this because we think that will make a difference and then we actually either 
were were not using it or it sits in a cupboard or you know was it the best piece of technology or the best investment in the first place uh, it's quite hard to judge all of those kinds of things and, and if you're going to spend money on technology you want to spend money on great technology you yeah. know you don't want to spend it on things that are not great both me and you go to bed and i'm sure you have the same moment that i do where you go oh god here we go again it's yeah. a huge amount of space with every tech underneath the sun and you know i probably pull out maybe a couple of handfuls of tech that i think could go yeah they're amazing when I do my when I do my tours with the TPA teach, uh, Teaching mm. Pedagogy Education Association, we do we do uh, safaris, research safaris. I pick out five things and that's it. Do you know what? Yeah. You reminded me of something that was on the news on, on Radio Four last week. So the legal system in the UK have recently introduced a piece of software um, mm. to help with the whole legal process with magistrates, yeah. and they've developed it in an agile way. And, yeah. and actually, they were saying that it was like an investigation. And it's causing real stress with the clerks in court because it's not working. Like people fill things in boxes mm. or people are triggered like, oh, that person's um, needs to be taken off whatever or have a, have a buddy something fitted to their ankle or whatever it is. And it's mm. not been working. So they're having to kind of do dual entry and do it manually as well. It's causing yeah. massive stress. It's what, a lot of the reasons why these strikes are happening. Mm. But, but it's interesting because they've, they've, bought an ad, they've bought a piece of software in an mm. agile way, but it's actually got about a hundred workarounds. And you think about a workaround being so stressful oh. because actually, apparently you can't put the word Christopher in. You have no. to put Christophe in because no. it's French no. or something. And the point about this is, then think about Capita Sims. Think yeah. about Sims in a school, a piece of software. Yeah. How many, how many schools use Sims to the max? They'll use it as an address book. They'll use yeah. it maybe for assessment. They'll use it maybe for behaviour, but in terms of everything else it can do, which is nope. vast, you have to have a PhD to use that piece of software. Yeah, pretty much. So actually, that piece of software isn't actually helping teachers in schools. It's just simply not working. No, and I, I think um, uh, you would have read this, uh, I'm pretty sure. Did you read the future developments for EdTech from yeah, the yeah, Department yeah. for Education? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, one of the things it did get right, it, 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 it was it's like the first time I think we've ever heard the Department for Education talk about EdTech. And yep. I think they, they came out and said, it was like, wow, you we were moving on. But it, it came out and it, it, it had some strange bits in it. It came out and said, you know, we're we've got we think it's gonna, you know, be able to expand in things like AI, which I seriously doubt as an AI scientist. Yep. Um, uh, uh, social robots, which I'm slightly confused about. Blockchain, which again I'm thinking were, and you know, it, so it, it had really big ambitions. But one of the things it really, really did get right, really got right was it was very clear that it had an expectation now that teachers had to be core and center to the development yep. of tech. Yep. Yep. Now, yep. if yep. you've worked in tech, you know, the amount of companies I've worked in, in with ed tech or as part of ed tech, you know, it seems completely logical. You would not, you know, you wouldn't build something for, a, you know, a doctor without having doctors involved. But for some reason, ed tech seems to be this area where they think, you know, we'll not include teachers until the very end. Yeah. And then we'll go, oh, we've built this tech already. Uh, we think we're going to sell it to schools as an afterthought, um, you know, but we we already sell it to like several people. But we've, we'll figure we'll sell it to schools as well. Uh, we, we were wondering how maybe this might fit. And it's always kind of like a 
you know, like, you know, square peg round hole situation where you're looking at it thinking, oh, and the amount of places I've gone, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, this doesn't work. It won't work for these reasons. And actually, you should have thought of this in the beginning. And it, it does it. Yeah. It often feels like things aren't designed with us in mind. I think you're right. And it, 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 it's all, it, what springs to mind is like snake oil and Emperor's New Clothes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, it's literally you're being sold this thing. And it's like, well, actually, is it really helping me in terms of what I need in the classroom? And usually that teacher didn't make the decision because it was probably a leader in the school who made the decision and decided yeah. to roll it out. And is that the right? It's, it's, it's tricky. It's really hard bringing in new tech into a into a, a school and getting getting sign up and getting momentum to kind of really roll with it. I've, I've done yeah. it myself and I've yeah. failed yeah. in that myself in the past in schools. I remember when they bought Bromcoms in. Do you remember those electronic registers? So you have oh, to carry God. around this yeah. bloody register in your hand. Register in your hand. Oh, yeah, I remember. It's just oh, like, it's horrible. it was really, really, and the battery always went. And anyway, it's like, no, it isn't actually helping people. People would rather just fill in an old fashioned register. Do you know what I mean? Well, um, I think one of the questions you've always got to ask with EdTech is if, you know, if you had a piece of paper and a tick sheet and it'd be easier. You know, then it's obviously not a piece of tech that you should be invested in. You know, it's like yeah, why exactly. spend like that? It's you know, there's it's pretty pointless. You know, in that kind of domain, if you want to kind of spend that sort of tech. Yeah. You know, I think um, what would be your favourite tech? You know, we talk about it because me and you could be quite critical about tech, which to be honest is quite funny considering that's what we're in. But what is your favourite sort of techs? Because, like, you know, I love – both of us, I think, love 3D printers. I really like CAD. I yeah, like yeah, yeah. 3D yeah. printing. I like it because it's in the DT curriculum. I like it because it sits in, you know, with maths and design technology. I like the I like the physicality it brings to a subject. And, and, and creativity as well. A yeah, lot of yeah. In there as well. I like I think... uh, me micro bits very much. So, you know, I think – I that... like anything. Anything where you can plug it in. And actually, it makes sense with kids. So if they're on a screen using, I don't know, telling an object to move around or whatever, if they can actually physically plug something in, wires, make sense yeah. of it, all the rest of it, that that to me is what gets what's exciting. Another thing of recent, this isn't a plug, by the way. This comes from Sherelle Sh- uh, Fowler. The Sherelle's lovely. She's She's got the new digital lead at Manchester City Council. Yeah. They're setting up um, a digi- an office for digital at Manchester City Council. Really really ahead of the game and I met her, met her over the summer just to sort of congratulate her because she, she's such she's worked for Manchester for a long time she's a lovely girl yeah. um but she she was talking the other day about an owl so mm. an, an owl is is something that sits on the table it looks like an owl and basically mm. it's got it's like got a 3d mic but also the camera looks around the room so they're oh, really good for, nice. the good the good for hybrid meetings so mm. say you've got people in work people at home you sit it in the middle of the desk and it can if you are dialing in you get a better experience it's like you're in the middle of the meeting as opposed to just kind of peering in from the outside if that makes sense see so, you have those and you think oh, that just makes sense doesn't it it's like yeah. um louise has just said here anybody else who's got what their favorite tech is please pitch in louise asprey a visualizer yeah agreed everybody should have a visualizer <laughs> and you, you know is there anybody left who doesn't have a visualizer that isn't using it for modeling you know it's like it just should be there shouldn't it and it's like yeah they're just amazing so it's kind of some tech, you kind of like, yes, that makes perfect sense to me. But then others, I'm like, why have, why have you, why are we, why have we got this? I don't understand. Do you know what I mean? So I think sometimes you look at it and you think to yourself, I, I feel if you, if you're looking at a piece of tech as a teacher and it, 
instantly makes sense to you why that would be good tech, then that's probably a good sign. But if you're having to go, well, how would I go about fitting that in? Then that's probably not a good idea. You yeah. know, I think that's yeah. probably my benchmark when I'm looking at it. Is this, does this make instant understanding to me? You know, um, and I think we do have some great tech, but, you know, you could see the shortage. I um, I was at Research Ed last week, which is why I wasn't on, and I caught a couple of talks when I was there, and one of them was from um, Matt at the Oak Academy, and yeah. it just made perfect sense why tech hadn't worked, the fact that we needed Oak Academy to come on and just put all the lessons online. It was like, well, blatantly, you know, we... It, the fact that we just didn't have that, you know, there's these huge gaps that are kind of like, well, that just makes sense, but nobody's kind of filling them or building things in them. I think, I think massively from an, you're right about assessment and I think helping teachers with assessment and workload, oh, yeah. you know, marking exams, all that kind of thing. That, I mean, mm. that's coming, do you know what I mean? Because handwriting can be red now yeah. and so on that's coming that an exam will be able to be self-marking or whatever and giving instant yeah. feedback you know why mm. should kids wait two weeks for a teacher to if they've got 30 scripts to mark it's going to take them a while to get those back isn't it so yeah. i think things like that but again that's still not really if, if you moderate i think there's quite a lot of if you moderate gcse there's quite a lot of tech there that helps you because mm. everything's scanned in um but it's the only thing the is with that is that you know the data scientist in me would balk at the idea of that because you know you can moderate it and you can do it and yeah we can we can self-mark but i always think that tech should be how do i describe it especially when you're looking at ai and data and we're looking at marking and assessment i think that it always needs to have a teacher's eye on it yeah, yeah, you get what I mean. Course. It's supposed to be there to support you, not there to make the decisions for you. And I think that is, I think that is the difference between the two. It's like you know, tech should be there to support us to do our job. You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I, when and it should be our, you know, our job that it, it comes down to us and the professional judgment of teachers, you know, you know with the professional market of teachers, you know, the teaching pedagogy. I think we forget that tech, you know, like a great tech, a visualizer is there to support us to do our job. And yeah. I think that yeah. with marking, it's always kind of how I feel a bit about that. Because, you know, I'm pretty sure you've probably seen those AI gaffes where it's like, you know, a cow being identified as a cow. And then it's like half a cow one side of the building yeah, and half yeah, a cow yeah, the other yeah, side yeah, of the building. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's still not quite there yet. So you do have to, like, I don't know, just, you know, be a bit wary with that. And also, I, I do have questions agreed. over the amount of data that we give over. I worry a lot about Massive. data. You know, I worry a lot about making our data in education. Uh, outsourcing it to other industries other people other places and i worry a lot about whether that is going to make us whether that's going to come and bite us later you know where that data goes where do we know where it goes do we know what happens to it do we know where it's going afterwards because i think you know a lot of the time with ed tech we're not necessarily asking those questions and i don't know whether you've seen the you know, there was a report from the children's minister, wasn't there, a while back ago, what do they know about me? And it was absolutely terrifying. It was like, you know, 39 other companies, you know, having from one ed tech firm, having the, the data shared to it. 
you know, um, data from schools going to things like, you know, Department for Defence. And, you know, you sat there thinking, well, would that happen with EdTech? You know, but we just don't have really strong data policies. Well, that comes back to skill. That comes back to skills for learners again. You're completely yeah, right about everything you've said there. You know, we've we, we, we all knows the idea of you know a driverless car. It something go. It swerves to avoid a dog. Does yeah. It, does it hit the old man at the side of the road or hit the girl with the pram? Yeah. You know, you know how does it compute anyway? But you're right. But but thinking back to skills, young people in terms of critical digital literacy and their understanding of giving away their data because yeah. just we, we've all signed up to facebook they've all signed up to tiktok i've signed up to tiktok but all those kind of signups where you just you, you just give your data you go away. through it it's the forms long you tick it at the end and you don't think about it um but, but that's the that's the signing the pack with the devil in a way because you get something free and you give something back but we don't think of that now i think young people in terms of their learning and understanding about that that is not necessarily taught in schools. It's certainly, it's covered in the computer science curriculum. If you do computer science GCSE, data is gets a mention in there. And I'm sure great mm. computer science teachers talk about some of the topics yeah. that you just mentioned. But if you don't do computer science, the national curriculum says all kids should study computing up to the end of key stage four, but they don't. They don't yeah. all get those opportunities. So I think for the young people of tomorrow who are going to navigate this space even more so, what you just said around data, around AI, yeah. that, that, that the curriculum is not providing young people with the skills to navigate that world. No, no. I mean, to be honest, when I used to, I used to teach a whole bunch on on digital skills. Yeah. One of the, and one of the, um, one of the um, ideas award teaching ambassadors, and they have a yeah, whole yeah, bunch yeah. of stuff on there that's really great for teaching digital skills and and understanding data and where your data goes. And one of the things I used to do is it's really really easy if you've got a whole bunch of kids who've all got a Google account, is just ask them to log into their own Google activity. And, yeah. and see how much data is collected via, yeah, you know, for Google on your Google activity. If you've not ever tried this as a teacher, go try it, type in Google activity on your Google account and have a good look at what is tracked. And you find, you yeah. look at it and you're like, God, that is a lot of information. You know, every YouTube video, every search, every kind of, the, the, the information is just vast. Yeah. And you can opt to not have a lot of this data shared. You don't have to share your data to use the thing. But um, a lot of the time we just don't recognize it. And I no, think for no. us, there's no clear rules. There's no, there doesn't seem clear rules for us or for companies, does there? It's like, you know, one of the questions I had doing some of the work I did um, um, during the first stages of my PhD and, and the end of my master's in AI was, you know, what, what do teachers get to use for data? You know, and what kinds of things do, do we do with data? What kind of judgments can we make with data? And the answer seemed to be any that we want. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's it's a strange one because it kind of doesn't apply anywhere else, does it? You know, you can't just do anything you want with anybody's data anywhere else. But apparently in education, you can't. So it's like, well, you can collect yeah. the data, collect the assessments, collect all the kind of socio-demographic information that we get. You know, you can put it into your sims, you can make some judgments on it. Um, and that's kind of second nature to us, you know. You can put together, a, you know, an Excel spreadsheet graph and it makes me cry when they do that. And, you know, you can make a judgment based on girls v boys and that's what we're going to do. And now we'll change all the sets and all the outcomes because of it. 
But actually, when you look at, like, would you do that, you know, in any other kind of area? You know, would you do that in a science area? Not really. You'd have to have a bit more evidence. You know, and this is my issue with it. We, we've not really got guidelines for us, but we, you know, then on the same hand, it's we'll hand over all our data to this, you know, data dashboard company who will tell us exactly what we want to hear that's very simplistic. And then, you know, what we'll do is we'll make some judgments based on that, but we won't ask about where our data is. So it, it's very problematic that there's still a long way to go with it. Absolutely. I think you know? also young people, when they see, if, if a young person sees their parents or adults mm. using social media, they've kind of seen us fail at social media, you know, as all yeah. reading as all reading that status update and, and imbuing it with some sense of whatever that it isn't. We've all done it as adults. And I think there's, a, there's some research out there which says that's why young people use, started using Snapchat, because something was said and then it was gone. Yeah. Um, whereas adults were kind of right, ending up in this huge Brexit debate online. I've done it, you know, yeah. where you have you know, this. Uh, but, but young people adults mortifying you. You know, you're like, oh, mom, yeah, stop it. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> exactly. So that whereas Snapchat, okay, I know you can screenshot, but something was said and then it was gone, which is kind of more conversational. Mm. You know, we've we've all had the email from you know, a toxic boss or whoever it is, where, where some, and you read that in, in between the lines and, and it's, it's, it's dangerous with words, do you know what I mean, sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I don't I th think we get taught how, we never were taught how to handle that time. Um, you know, it's, it's a tricky I mean, one. it's one of the things I say to kids, you know, assume that if you're saying something online that it's on a giant billboard in the middle of your hometown. Brilliant, yeah, exactly. That's the best way to, to word it because exactly. it's forever. And the yeah, concept exactly. that things are not forever is, 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 you know, idiotic. They are forever. So, and then it just gets you to think about it differently. But we do need to teach these skills because they are everywhere, you know, and, and really we don't have much room. I mean, I'm hoping that they have a bit more in PHSE. I think they do sit in there a bit more. But yet again, it's this problem of, of you know, how do we engage between you know, the tech that we want that's good and then teach about the tech that's out there in the real world that isn't isn't great at moments, you know, and how to manage that because we're going to come up against it more and more and more. Louise, um, I, I, I'm just saying, Cass, Louise has said something in the chat here. Yeah, she has. Really interesting. Too many schools think tech first rather than how the tech might augment or constrain the pedagogy. I think yeah. I think that's that that builds on some of the conversations we've just been having. I think now yeah, I think she's effect. absolutely right. I think they don't go they don't they they often go, Oh, we've got a whole bunch of money we're gonna spend on tech and it's like, right, well forget that. I, I spend loads of time going, Well, forget that. Like what exactly are you trying to do with the, the, the yeah. pedagogy? What exactly are you trying to achieve? You know, before you before you go, oh, I'll just spend this chunk of money on this. You know, we should really have really strong arguments about how we're spending our funds um, before we, you know, we just adopt to kind of spend them. So I absolutely agree with Louise, though. It's brilliant, brilliant for us. And as you're right, she also says the myth of digital native. Yes, I hate <laughs> it. You know, <laughs> I absolutely hate that. You know, because the worst part is, is that I guess back in the day when I was younger and when I was into tech, you could like, you, you could take something apart and put it together and figure out how it worked. But nowadays, tech often doesn't work like that. You're not taking apart, you know, tech and, and knowing how it works. No, you often no. can't get into it to take it apart. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's very restrictive. So the, there isn't this idea anymore of, of you know, this, this digital native, I think, was a myth. I don't think it ever existed. Uh, I think it's always got to be worked at. 
so that you understand it because inevitably people who sell us tech are selling us tech and you know and if they're giving away tech as you said john they often want something from it you know and you've got to really question what is it you're giving away that they want you know um whether it be your data or your info or or anything else in that you know if you get it for free what exactly you know are you giving up there um, I'm going to go to the news before me, you, me and you, John, come back and we're going yep. to have a, um, should we have a chat about some of your work that you've been doing at the moment in Jersey, which yeah, sounds okay. super interesting. So I'm desperate <laughs> to talk about it. So just stay with us and we're just going to play the news. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With schools across all four home nations due to close on Monday the 19th of September, as part of the plans for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, much of this week's news is set to focus on issues away from reflections and remembrance of the UK's longest serving monarch. In Scotland, the largest teaching union has voted to go on strike in a dispute over pay. The Educational Institute of Scotland, known as EIS, rejected a 5% pay offer following a ballot. The EIS announced on Friday the 16th of September that 91% of the responses to the consultative ballot had voted in favour of strike action. 94% of votes were also in favour of rejecting the 5% pay offer. 78% of all union members responded to the ballot. The union, which represents 8 out of 10 Scottish teachers, will reject the offer next week and move to a statutory ballot on strike action. EIS General Secretary said, Teachers have simply had enough of the year-on-year -year struggle to achieve a fair pay settlement. She went on to say that 5% offer represents a real terms cut of 7%. Scottish teachers have previously been offered rises of 2% and 3.5% before the offer of 5%. The AIS said teachers' request for 10% was fair and reasonable. The Times has released its 2023 Good University Guide, with many media outlets from across the home nations reporting on the standings. With student debt now averaging around £50,000, 
It's more important than ever that young people research and find the right institution and course for them. The list includes profiles of 135 universities across Britain and uses data published by institutions in the last two months. The University of Bath is named University of the Year. Whilst it ranks eighth in the overall list, up from ninth in 2021, it won the award due to its strength across the board. Exeter was runner-up in this category, with Birmingham, Oxford and Surrey also shortlisted. Whilst Oxford misses out on the University of the Year award, it has again topped the league table, a position it has held for the past 12 years. St Andrews in Scotland was ranked second. Durham University was named Sports University of the Year thanks to its collegiate structure which encourages high levels of participation. The full list can be found by subscribing to the Times website. And finally, 250 former students at Bedford's Training College were awarded honorary degrees and reunited by the University of Bedfordshire this week. The graduates, now in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, attended the college between 1940 and 1978. The college, known in later years as the Bedford College of Physical Education, held a special ceremonies to celebrate sport and lifelong learning through physical activity. Most of the recipients have taught PE in schools, universities and local communities over the decades. In a week where service to others has been at the forefront of reflections about Her Majesty the Queen, the college has recognised the service and dedication of its former students. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about a social media post we regularly see. It goes something like this. I'm trying to show my class the reach of social media. Please reply with where you are in the world. Personally, I love this post and to honour it, I'm going to try it myself with a slight twist. I'm going to use the insert 3D map in Excel to show all of the places in the reply on a map of the world. It's so easy to do. You simply put a title in a new column, for example, towns, and then add all of the place names below. Finally, click insert and choose 3D map. If it's the first time you're using it, you'll need to follow a few prompts to get it working, but you'll be greeted with a 3D map of the world with a little square pinning all of the places you typed in. If you don't use Excel, don't worry. You can do the same in Google Maps by clicking on directions and adding every place as a waypoint on a journey. This is a great way of showing pupils the reach of social media posts in a way that they can visualize. I'll post the final map next week so you can use it with your pupils and save you a job. So what are you waiting for? Reply to my tweet or tell at TT Radio 2022 where you you are and tag me in at Steve Woods one to one. Next week I'll post the results. TT Radio 2022. Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And hello, so we're back. So are you still there, John? I am still here. Can you hear me? Wonderful. Right. So uh, <laughs> we got a question whilst I was whilst I was on from Emma Darcy. You asked her before we get into some of the work that you've been doing, which I think will just lead into this beautifully, which was why are we not including kind of AI and data analytics skills as more of a priority in schools? And I, 
I thought of it and I thought, oh, you know what? We we really do need to. Um, I did an experiment a couple of weeks back ago. If you've seen me Twitter, you will have seen it. Where there's what's called OpenAI now, um, which anybody can go to, go look up OpenAI. And um, actually, if you go to and you can click right on it and you can go and look at some of the tools that are there that are just very easy to use. And I ran through a GCSE physics paper through our OpenAI. And it answered all of the questions including the working out, which is slightly terrifying at every kind of point. And, um, you know, we, we're we not, I, I don't know whether many people are aware that, that you can do that right now. And that isn't even that hard. So, you know, when we come to kind of set homework, think carefully about setting your homework now, guys, especially if you've got a techie kid, because it's kind of like this moment where it's, we're going to have to start adjusting how we assess, how we look at kids, how we look at students' work. And um, I had a glance and most of the universities and most schools don't have a kind of like anti-plagiarism policy for AI. And you you wouldn't be able to because you know, a lot of it is AI generated. So it's not like if you're in universities, you can you can scan it through, turn it in and it picks it up. It doesn't, you know, and these these kinds of things are, are there now. So it's not like they're coming in the future. You know, they're, they're right there now. And if, you, if you're a kid who's kind of got, you know, a bit of brains about you, you know, a lot of them are using. And I, I looked it up on TikTok, you know, open AI homework. And there was like, about a, there's a ton of posts on TikTok, like how to skim through your homework and do it easily. And it's like, oh, no, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, oh, great. You know, we're going to have to think more carefully. And some of the ways you can get around it, guys, is asking for a personal opinion on something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, because then they can't actually generate it. So you know, add a personal opinion question into your questions on homework. They can't do that. And it's these kinds of tech is there, but we don't have a really good grasp on it. We don't have really good rules on it. We really don't have good regulations on it, and we don't have good ideas about how they should work. And the, yeah. there's things they can do for us, which are amazing. You know, they could make our workload easier. They could make you know our lives a lot easier. But it's got to be really carefully judged, doesn't it? And I think we are not. I think we need kind of a revolution in how that's done, how we judge EdTech and, and make it a bit more empirical, I guess. You know, it's be my personal opinion on whether that works, what are the dangers of it, what are the pros of it, what are the cons of it. And if yeah. there is nothing, if it's not as good as, a, you know, a, in a classroom, you know, using, you know, your visualizer, you know, and you kind of your normal board, then, you know, question why is it we're getting it in the first place, isn't it? Yeah, but it's interesting. Michael Forshaw from EdTech Impact, that they, for three years now they've, they've been trying to do that it's almost like try yeah. before you buy but yeah. looking at sound research evidence behind it i think the problem we've got in the uk right now is it, the eaf do some great stuff but they've got a very yeah. particular way of doing things around you know a b testing or control groups and so on yeah um there are there are many different ways in which we can do research but EEF are the government's preferred, if you like. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, they've got some really good stuff. But there are all other great people out there who've been doing research for years. You know, the Teaching Pedagogy Education Association, yeah. um, Christiana Preston at MirandaNet, and they've been doing this for kind of 30 years. And a lot yeah. of the research they've got from like 20 years ago is still just as relevant to pedagogy today when it comes to EdTech. But, yeah. but if people who are listening in, as I say, Michael Forshaw's EdTech Impact, they do, it, they kind of, 
they're still developing it. It, it. it needs some work, in my opinion. Sorry, one of my earbuds mm. has disappeared off damage. Anyway, I've got it back. Um, <laughs> they, they, they have a look at EdTech ed Impact, and they do yeah. do that for, for people who are thinking about, and you can search by type of school, by demographic, by mm. product, and this kind of reviews and this kind of thing. Um, I, I don't, I, for me, it's not quite there, but I think it's a start in terms of what you've just said about empirical evidence. Yeah, and I think we also don't, we, we view EdTech in this particular way, where we um, we view it as kind of the shiny, interesting things, but we don't yeah. view it as, like you said, like Sims or Excel. Yeah. No. <laughs> when have you ever seen, you know, I, I when I did my teacher training back in the day, when do you ever see like the, the training bit on Excel, how to use Excel? You know, it's not in there. It's like, why is it that everybody uses Excel somehow, but we don't actually have any part of our teacher training include Excel? Well, do you know what? Well, on that, dead quick, when part of the thing we did with the EdTech demonstrator was that people talk about uh, pedagogy before tech, yeah. and that's right. But actually, this, it, it's a bit more it's a bit more complicated than that. Teachers need to be trained in how to use something, where to plug in the wires, what yeah. buttons to press, started R. But then what but and then look what leaders normally say is they say, Oh, we'll just have a go. Nobody ever goes back to the teacher and actually says, Right, how you've got this class with these learners with these particular needs and so on. How can this technology now support those individual learners in that classroom? Yeah. And I think and, and Louise and I did some she's she's had to leave because her and her she's dropping off a son at university and they're, oh, they're rowing about which podcast are listening to. So, <laughs> she's had to go, but she said thank you. But but we talked about this in old opportunity now. We had a group of teachers who basically were trained in how to use something, and then we gave them a robust line of inquiry through mm. communities of practice. So it was like, what's the problem? It's usually a how question. What's the problem? What's the issue? What's the group? What's the tech? And how do you envisage it will sort it? And then, so they go away, the teacher then, with a renewed focus on that technology and mm. actually how it can help with their pedagogy. Now, that's what I don't think schools do well. They no. do the training, it's have a go. Nobody ever asks the so what question. It's the, it's the, the mm. burning so what question. Actually, how, how does this tech really support you in your classroom with your kids? And I think that, that's what we need to work on more. I think we probably need to, for me, widen it out a little as well, you know, to yeah. not just how it supports in the classroom, but maybe instead of just looking straight to the classroom to start with, look around your entire school to start with, you know, things yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just, you know, just straight learning how to put a plugin in audio, you know, for a Teams meeting to auto transcribe, you know, yeah. that sounds a ridiculous thing. But auto-transcribing a whole bunch of your meetings for things like your governors would make a massive difference to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Really and it'd point. save you a whole bunch of work. Really but good we're, point. we're kind of like, you know, you're not you're not looking at something that's just very straightforward. Quite often it's like, oh, we want to spend this amount of money, so we'll go and get all of this. Yeah. You know, or we'll go and invest in this huge amount of tech in a room and you know, and, and it'd be very interesting when actually some of the more boring stuff is probably the best thing to do. You know, auto-transcribe your meetings saves you a whole bunch of time for all typing it you know or working out what you were trying to aim for later um you know you've seen we all use sims you know or we all use arbor or some form of you know is that tech working you know what things can we do with that tech as you said you know i think we've got slightly the similar to when i teach kids with tech you know they've got these massive aims and you're like, well, maybe, you know, first let's work on, you know, how to wire a motor and code it to move you know, before you try and, you know, invent yeah. yourself an iPhone. I think teachers have, you know, big expectations of, of technology that 
often we probably should just scale back to, you know, what simplistic problems can we solve first that would just reduce workload? You know, because I think make things easy for people, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's got to be people at the center of it. You know, it's, there's no use for me to have tech with no purpose. You know, if if it's just tech to just make it look interesting, then it's it's you know it's pretty pointless, isn't it? You know, or it, if it's just tech because it you know it improves it slightly, then it. it I just don't see the point in that. It's a so you what know. question, isn't it? Let's go back yeah. to the so what question. So, so what, tell what, us about what you've been doing in Jersey, because I'm interested in this one. Okay, so so the work I did in, for Andy Burnham with the Command Authority of Manchester City Council, it, it, it highlighted what we knew the problem was, and we got mm. had some really good empirical evidence from that. We did surveys, we did, I visited um, 10 schools, all the rest of it. But the problem is, of course, is that in English schools, they don't necessarily have, with the EBAC, with the restricted, very dense curriculum, not much time, all the rest of it, yeah. It's very very difficult to do an intervention around this digital space. Hmm. Um, so the good thing about Jersey is, let me just say very quickly about Jersey. People think of Jersey as being this incredibly rich place. It's a very expensive place to live. As a result of that, you have quite a lot of poverty. You have 15% of the population of Portuguese, EAL, because hmm. they come and do all the laundry, all the washing, working in all the restaurants and so on. So, mm-hmm. so that gives you a, a very whistle-stop tour about deprivation, EAL, on the island. Hmm. Um, it's got a kind of weird 11 plus system as well with two schools which are are um, essentially a private school but funded by the government they're weird mm. um, and, and not necessarily for all kids although a lot of parents want to send the kids there mm. but they do have flex with the curriculum but they don't necessarily have the confidence now when you look at what's been going on perhaps in Northern Ireland with some mm. new qual- GCSE qualifications there and also in Wales the new digital technology GCSE yeah but there is flex and the amazing work they're doing on the hub there's some amazing kind of flex away in from the back and really starting to look at digital in in a in a grown-up way i would say and in a way which is preparing kids for tomorrow so so jersey was a, a contract that a woman got a couple of people to help me with that and and because they can flex away from the curriculum they don't necessarily have the confidence to do it so they they do follow a lot of the exam boards the english exam boards mm. and they have the jersey eight as opposed to the you know the the e-back yeah um but they are tentatively looking at places like Northern Ireland, Wales, and, in, and, and, and indeed, we're encouraging them to do uh, other things. And we've come up with the concept of the, the Jersey Digital Citizen. It's a work in progress. The, the report's about to be published probably by the end of September, but it will be in the public domain then. Mm-hmm. But the Jersey Digital Citizen is basically a wrapper for all things digital in terms of uh, engagement with industry, work mm-hmm. experiences, things like the Idea Award you mentioned, yeah. also opportunities at Key Stage 3, things like um, Primary Engineer, um, uh, DEC, Design Engineer Construct, and all those kind yeah. of things that, that, and 3D printing. There's only one school with 3D printing on the island. I'm going to change that. But um, so, so the, the wrapper is that kids think of it almost like a digital record of achievement. But yeah. every child, and it, it will probably be done in form time, and there'll mm. be things that kids have to do around mm. uh critical digital literacy but there'll be things which will be opt in opt out that they don't have to do mm. 
so we can they can start to develop digital specialisms as well so actually mm -hmm. kids will then leave school with a portfolio of evidence around digital so they've got a series of digital skills they know how to compose an email they know how to do costings on a spreadsheet but at the same time they might have had an experience with a 3d printer at key stage three or they might have uh, worked with a web designer at a local yeah. company at key stage four and so on so you can see how yes they're coming out with all their exams but at the same time they've got a portfolio of evidence to take them into a digital world that, that's the kind of concept we're developing it's it sounds exactly similar to the concepts that i developed in he in secondary where it's like you know similar in the same kind of domain it's you know more enrichments more building that portfolio of, of evidence yeah across yeah. the years that you have engaged in certain things or that you've got evidence for you know either a 3d printing qualification or you know a ideas award you know at the end of it or that you've engaged in the work experience so yep. you know that you've you, you know that you've got that range of of digital skills isn't it because exactly. i think it just sits along next to your gcse's exactly. really nice exactly. and i think that's for me how it would be best if it it doesn't kind of it's not going to replace your gcse's no, you can do those if you want that. to. You can still do computer yeah. science if you want to and specialise. But at yeah. the same time, you've got something when you're leaving. We're working with um, with Bill Lucas at University of Winchester. Now, he, yeah. he's, he's heavily involved in the Rethinking Assessment campaign, you, you're probably yeah. aware of, and actually yeah. really thinking about what assessment should be. And mm. that, that you, you may remember the Cities of Learning uh, concept, yeah. which I think was put in a few, I think Brighton, Plymouth, a couple of other places. And again, mm. it's that idea of... Um, a digital online portfolio of evidence. So when, when you go to an interview, you've got your certificates for your GCSEs, but, you but can you've also, also got, got something you can show. Yeah, and, exactly. and, and start a conversation around digital. I think that's what gets fascinating because you know it may be like me. I didn't do computer science GCSE, mm -hmm. and it may be a girl in the secondary school thinks, do you know what? I'm not doing the nerds at Key Stage Four. But when I go to college. There's all these different qualifications I can do digitally. So I will switch back to digital then. But it almost, I call it, this portfolio will keep keep the digital flame alive yeah. in young people. And so that they're not excluded from digital when they mm. move on to the next stage in the career. And I think that's what's really, really important here, that, that opportunities, it's not like, well, I didn't do computer science, therefore I can't do digital. Yes, you can, you can do. There's all these other amazing quals. Don't be put off by the really dry, boring key stage four, you know, just just go back to it when you want to, if you need to. I yeah. think it has that, um, I, I think you always need like a solid core curriculum yeah. that really is yep. just going to be absolutely as it is because to be honest you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna change exactly what physics looks like or no. chemistry looks like but i always feel like you need on top of that you know a very flexible kind of exposure to digital skills or careers or things that you can get involved with in those extracurricular which is why i concentrate on that you know yep. to be able to keep that range there and I think I, I tweeted in the last, you know, I always ask kids whenever I'm kind of like doing either digital workshops or 3D printing workshops with them, you know, what kinds of things do you think that scientist looks like, that engineer looks like, that computer scientist looks like? And they do come up with the same thing every time. And it's just, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, it's it's girls v boys. It's, I don't think it is. I think it's I think it's the type of job yeah. that we 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 build the stereotype into you know your engineer is always in a hard hat with building a bridge you know your computer scientist is always in a basement coding from from memory and you know there's and your scientist is always in a lab coat 
And, I, you know, I know absolutely stacks of scientists, computers and scientists and engineers and none of them work in that. <laughs> it's like, you know, and it's like, you know, you've got to give that kind of range because not I don't think kids will view themselves in that way. Yeah you know a lot of the time whilst you know if the if they're viewing themselves of you know a, a scientist could also be you know somebody working putting cameras into rhino horns to track them and prevent poaching suddenly it becomes like oh actually that sounds really cool or really interesting and i feel like we we restrict it down to you know the society we live in just perpetuates this myth and i think we we probably need to have those digital opportunities just to offset that because it's you know science technology you know engineering computer science isn't just it, it, it isn't just look how it looks like on tv do, do, do you know what it's funny you say that because I, I almost said to somebody computer science oh. key stage four get it would you start learning medicine at key stage four no and no. actually, I, I do question whether we even need computer science key stage four, but maybe that's for another day. And the, the, the second thing at Jersey that we're doing is, and you talked about access there, and, and that's why I'm jumping in. Mm. And, and it, it's something which I'm calling digital democratization. On Jersey, they've got Jersey Telecom basically has got a very strong relationship with the government there. Yeah. And they've, got, they've, they've had amazing 5G on the island forever, but nobody switched it on. There's quite a lot of local, <laughs> there's reasons for it locally. People are kind of worried yeah. about prime brains and stuff, and we yeah. need to bring people with you on that but yeah you can actually what do kids do they're in school wi-fi the minute you know doing on very restricted the minute they leave school they jump on their own they can do what they want but actually you could have across the island there a pervasive 5g network so basically everyone's got wireless wi-fi wherever they go yeah um and and it's this is kind of the kind of thing that they're doing across cities in china at the moment and, and other areas like um, the University Corridor uh, in Manchester also has that. If you're a student, you basically just stay on the same network all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that idea that a kid could have access free of charge to their learning, to their portfolio, these opportunities at any time. Mm -hmm. So it's think of kind of a homework concept or out of school learning, which kind of goes back to blended learning. We're talking for yeah. about teams and it, not all the learning happens in the classroom, what you were saying about the, the extracurricular yeah. activities and all the other stuff. But actually, you can then not only provide those opportunities through the digital uh, Jersey citizen, but also through this this uh, this free Wi-Fi network across the island, you actually have access in a device. So, mm. so actually, it really is starting to look about access for all, not just those people who can afford it, yeah. but access to content which is meaningful and something they can do with it. Because we, we know if you build a motorway, doesn't need, need to say that everybody drives on it, you need to give people decent content and stuff. Now, again, going back to data, that also means that Jersey is an island that can keep hold of that data and do what it wants yeah. to it rather than it giving it away. So, so data is held by the island mm. and Perhaps in future, the island could sell some of that data for all people on the island. So that would be a, a way of raising money for the island, yeah. um, which is actually kind of where data sits, because it's not just about giving it away for free. It's about giving it away yeah. and, and making something on it. So you, you understand how communities can be built and communities can benefit from this mm. uh, pervasive network. So that, that's the second piece. Um, that we're that's a, a really really good piece in the island to be honest to see whether that would kind of benefit them and themselves and also take uh, take ownership of their own data which i'm always very keen on exactly you know, that it's it's their data and what can they get out of it and what do they want to sell that, that, that idea of a, a, a digital rucksack of not only yeah. you know you've got all your data in it and it's up to you what you do with it it's like crowdsourcing mm. almost isn't it but yeah. it's some um, interesting times i think i think those are two of the main things and and you know the, the vast is now 
to be involved with implementation, which is always good as well. Mm. Um, and for me, if, if it's a pilot, it could work in terms of something that's local, something that responds to need. You were talking about tech that responds to the yeah. needs of learners. It has a flavor for the Jersey Digital Citizen. And who knows, could it be then rolled out across GM or the Northwest or something like that as a, yeah. as a this citizen concept? Because you know what? It's not going to come from central government, is it? You know, mm. I think I think, to be honest, when you look at those kinds of things, you know, there's lots to be said for it, because, I mean, if you've seen the, the select commons education um they did a, a recent one recently where they were looking at, you know, careers, um, uh, education, you know, CAG, careers and inf information. And, you know, they were saying, you know, quite uh, definitively that, you know, that that wasn't there enough. We're not we're not talking enough about our digital careers. We're not giving enough exposure to our students to engage in the kind of skills that they, that they need to to get good apprenticeships or good jobs. You know, it's no. very university driven. And and then when they get to university, you know, a lot of the time, having having done research in unis, they they pick things because it was similar to the things they did in schools, and then they they're not they're not going into the other fields. And, you know, when we're gonna we're gonna start running out of people in in the kind yeah. of jobs that we want, and you know, and you want to have those young people, especially like the the um, degree apprenticeships that you know pay you and pay you to do a degree. You know, and there's some amazing ones I've sent students on, you know, in, you know, in Sellafield or in, you know, the nuclear industry and loads of them there. But they don't tend to get into that if they've not kind of had that kind of career exposure to those kinds of tech, digital industry, you know, STEM based yeah. careers. So it's kind of it's I think it sits there, that kind of outreach, that kind of engagement. It sits right there and you're right in building that kind of portfolio of experiences and 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 ways in which they've engaged in it yeah but i don't necessarily think unless we've got really strong evidence that you know visualizes a pretty strong evidence you know that, you know but like if you're looking at it does it sit in our classrooms i'm not sure sometimes you know <laughs> like, like is, is it, do we do we really need it it is you know the you know what what are you going to do with the tech you know so what exactly is the outcome that you're trying to aim for? And is that going to be as successful as, you know, as you said, you know, I can, you know, I can create a nice sensor to measure distance in my physics lesson, but I can also just use, you know, a tape yeah. measure. I think, I think, know, I so... think, I think some of that evidence will come through. So, so mm. we've talked a lot about visualizers today and I think that's a strong one. Yeah. Lo yeah. It is Lo a strong one. But Louise also mentioned about, interactive whiteboards in some subjects yeah. in the white elephant. I think in maths and geography, yeah. I think they're really useful. But if we set up communities of practice with robust lines of inquiry where teachers are actually saying, right, this is the piece of tech. And do you know what? It might be something, it might be just, it might be just Excel, but actually you yeah. know, this, this is how I use it to do this. And we build up almost like a series of case studies from the bottom up, but give them some themes to talk about as well to kind mm. of think about their classroom and, and the themes, whether it's assessment, whether it's, whether it's direct instruction, whether it's whatever. Mm. Think about how they're going to do that using the technology. You could come up with some really good case studies, which could we would then have this conversation. Maybe maybe we come on the show in six months' time and say, right, yes, we've got visualizers. Yes, we've got this this piece of tech. We've mm. we've got this thing here. We've got this, and this teacher's found this out. And I think that's what's missing in terms of how we we share that best practice. I think we're seeing it in we're seeing it in computer science. So I think yeah. we're seeing it yeah. with the. I went to the Raspberry Pi Educational Research Center. And they're doing some really, really good research on how Raspberry Pis are used, how physical computing is used. Absolutely. Um, uh, really uh, good, so computing yeah. are really trying to tackle that 
the this gap in the evidence there and the you know doing full studies to see how that works um, and see see what what really is the outcomes of using those kinds of tech but uh, you're right i just don't think it's don't i don't think it's there just yet but i think no. covid has shown us that it does need to be there yeah I and i think that is, and, and you're right and something that emma said was i think moving forward i think people will be more willing to reflect on what they did learn now they're mm. kind of back in the classroom and so on we, we, there's some really nice stuff on on twitter you know some people have said some lovely some lovely Aww. stuff about us tom rogers darren uh emma and and this has been this is being recorded is that right um, yes it is of course it is so if you get back to us if you've got thoughts on this please tweet us out yeah everybody's i've seen quite a lovely amount of conversation on that uh, i think if, if when we put it out on record if you do want to get in touch you know tell us what you think what do you think we need to do about this because i think it's we've demonstrated that we need to include it we can't stay in you know we can't ignore it for sure you know that and we're spending an awful awful lot on ed tech i think it was something like if i if i if i try and find the stats in a minute i think it's absolutely something ridiculous we spend on ed tech um every single year so the the idea that we should like actually just ignore it is isn't is not it's not doable um you know we should really really include it i'll tell you now how much we're spending per year we are spending it's... in the next five years um according to holder iq we should be spending worldwide 404 billion billion on yeah. edtech yeah 404 billion on edtech right now yeah. we're spending 227 billion worldwide amazing um, so this isn't like a little amount of money that we're spending. We are spending a lot. And if we're going to spend that kind of cash, you know, we really need to know, you know, what should we be doing with it? You know, and what, and I think teachers, just teachers need to lead that part because yeah. I think when we, if we just hand it over to um, engineers or technologists, they're not, they don't have, I think, the strong capability to be able to judge pedagogy or judge whether it works for the kids. It's not the same priorities. And I think that's important, really, yeah. for us to to keep those priorities for us, for, you know, what's in the best interest of our students, what's in the best interest of our staff, what's in the best interest of education at the forefront. And, and to do that, we, I think we have to have more ownership of it. You know more ownership in the you know the decision making and the research and how it looks and what we're using for it you know that's my two cents worth there john what do you think (laughs) (laughs) no it it goes back to sustainability again you're right if if that's going to double over the next five years the amount of money we're spending particularly when we're going into a cost of living crisis and all the rest of it in schools money's tight money's even tighter you know it's like the cuts we've had since 2010 it's like well hang on um, so I think leaders are going to be have to become more discriminatory when when making discriminatory when making those yeah. decisions about how they spend ed tech. It's going to have to work, and I think also some of the ed tech companies are going to have to up the game in oh, terms God, of yeah. their, their promises, but also actually they they providing the evidence to say this is how it works. It's yeah. going to have to be part of their sales pitch. A lot of them do it already, don't get me wrong. But mm. some of them just do rest on the laurels and don't necessarily explain how it helps with pedagogy, how it helps with value for money, how it helps for, with admin assessment and so on. We, mm. we really do need to up our game on that because that mm. is the feedback loop 
for version 2.1 of the software because when the next version comes out they say they they listen to schools they say they've got their 10 best favorite schools who work with their technology new versions but it, it, yeah. in terms of does is that really solving everybody's problems or just those 10 schools problems because they get it for free i don't know i don't know i, I i'm sure there's some really good practice out there i just i don't see it that's the thing i don't i don't see it as as easily as perhaps i should do and if i was still working in a school you know i i, I know my stuff but if i'm just a digit if i'm a leader in a school who's got a digital portfolio and they've, mm. they've developed a strategy on the back of covid actually how where do i go to find find out that kind of best practice that that evidence that i'm going to spend 10 grand on this and i know mm. that it'll work and actually to make it work i've got to do xyz i've got to train staff i've got to go back to them i've got to ask some questions and because these these change things change management with tech are are often mm. protracted and difficult and need navigating carefully don't they yeah yeah i mean i think i wrote a couple of months back ago like that i think uh, i think i put it in the edtech 50 magazine or or one of them you know the deadly sins of of edtech you know for, <laughs> for edtech and i called it like the, the seven deadly sins of edtech and it, i think it was geared at edtech industry and it was like you know i'm not i'm not interested in your big prolonged i need to spend 20 hours being able to make this fit stop it do you know what I mean i'm not like oh you've got this new ad tech but i need to spend ages making it fit in no yeah. go away not not what i'm interested in or you know uh they'll do you know the outreach day you know uh for tech itself or or really any industry itself especially stem you know i'm going to do the outreach day where we all go in and we have a bit of a day and we take some photos and we look at it slightly and then everybody's really pleased and then we go away and we never talk about it again. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. Um, and I, I think I am. I'm like, I, I want tech that fits in a 50-minute lesson that works for teachers, you know, and really works hard for teachers, not as a side thought of you know later on or you'll have to get your head around these particular clicks and then we'll forget about it or you know it, it, it has to you know if it's gonna if it's gonna take our money in this really really tight area of, of the cost of living crisis then it's got to deliver you know really deliver and above and beyond these days because if the alternative is you know solid you know great you know teaching then you know it's it's got stiff competition really hasn't it agreed mm. someone on twitter called alex is dead quick we've got a couple of minutes they said can you do yeah. a brief se segue to why kids don't have books anymore and how they can possibly learn <laughs> I, I've got... okay. so, so... do you know what i had this moment right and I, I, alex will be a friend of mine and it's because one of the things that we do is um you know whether schools have got books you know this sounds really well, stupid this does but you know how many schools do you know get books you know, you often don't get books now for an individual kid, do you? you well, here we go. Quite... It, 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 here's a story on this. My last school I worked at, Manchester Communication Academy in Harper Hay in Manchester, we opened in, in 2010 with just year seven. BT with a sponsor, our silver sponsor. Massive right. loads of ed tech just literally yeah. pouring out of everyone's ears. And the, the, at the time, the principal said that she didn't want to have a library. And it was like, well, because yeah. everything will be digital. And we, <laughs> oh, and we actually, no, no we are oh. And in the end, in the end, the teachers won and they have a library. They have a really good library because, yeah. yes, Alex is right. It's a blend. Kids need, what I said before about plugging things in mm. uh, with technology and learning. You can online, you can learn literacy. You can do all of that. You can do your phonics. But actually picking up a book, sitting down with somebody, 
with yeah. a parent, with an adult, with one another, with somebody younger and reading with them. That is when true learning happens in terms of enjoyment because it's an experience thing. And I don't think you necessarily get online, but you need both. I think we have yeah. a digital world, we need digital text. So yes, digital text, critical literacy, all of that piece we talked about before, but without a doubt, schools need libraries. You need to be sat there with books, doing stuff with them. The joy yeah. of a book and the smell of a book. Anyway, I'll show <laughs> I, I mean, I do loads of work with libraries, as you know, but I mean, I had a, yeah, 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 I had a yeah. parent stop me recently, actually, and say, oh, the, the young person was, you know, just about to start GCSEs and they had an old laptop and they were thinking about, you know, do an update this laptop and what did they think? It's an often question I get from parents. And I said the same answer I normally say, you know, what year are they in? Oh, they're just coming into year nine what laptop have they got they've got this already well that laptop's fine what i need you to do is go and get the aqa revision box and it's like really and it's like yeah that's what i need you to do and she was like that's what you're saying i'm like yeah i'll give you a list here are the aqa revision box and it's it sounds crazy but it's you know we've really gotta be really critical and you know being able to go here are the revision guides for the subject yep. i'd do that first yeah i wouldn't you know i'd have a school library first i wouldn't yep. be like hey let's spend you know twenty thousand pound on this ed tech forget that if you've not got a school library or a good set of revision books then you might as well ditch those first two you know Agreed. what i mean forget Agreed. your tech you know yep. you might want to start on a do our kids <laughs> have access to reading and it seems so logical i guess to me and you we were in that field but I think sometimes you do see you do see leaders get a bit ahead of themselves when it's like, we've got this money we're going to spend on tech, but they don't compare that to the rest of the school's yeah, pedagogy. Yeah. So it's got to come, it, it's got to be compared to all the other improvements you could make in school. You know, so yeah, of course. If you, you've, you've got to really put it into context. You know, which yeah. is why I'm working on multi-decision criteria making stuff. You know, look at your ed tech, right? You could spend this fund on, you know, what kind of tech you're getting, but what would you get out of that? And what would you get out of, you know, a library? Or what would you get out of revision books every year? Or what would you get out of, you know, what are the alternatives to that? Because quite often they just go, well, we'll, we'll need some tech, so let's just put some tech in. And, you know, I think, for me, quite often you can get far more, you know, you can set yourself up an entire Raspberry Pi lab for hardly anything in comparison to putting a whole bunch of, you know, laptops in a building. I, do, I don't understand it. You know, like, you know, if you've got monitors and computers, you can set up a Raspberry Pi lab pretty swift with yep. Raspberry Pis. And it'll still give access to everybody on the internet. And they'd have coding platforms on there. And you can just do everything you'd need to do. And it probably won't cost you you know, yep. 40, 50,000 pound. Why aren't we doing that? It's mad. <laughs> so, so I think we've got to, we've got to be a bit more critical and, and be a bit more kind of, it's not, it's not, it's not tech versus tech, is it? It's tech versus everything else. And where and it I, sits within all of that, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where we might be going a, a bit astray, isn't it? You know, it's, it is because that tech is versus you know your extra ta you know that text versus your extra books your extra library so if you think that tech is really that worthwhile great um and there is tech that is really that worthwhile but you've got to think really carefully about that Definitely. you know and i think that that's the kind of key thing isn't it really what do you think on roundup because we're going to round up for today what do you think your last phrases on this would be 
Oh, for me, I, I suppose it just goes back to I'm just dead excited about what we're doing in Jersey because actually we, we've we got a pilot there where we can really start to address some of these issues, as I outlined earlier. And, mm. and, and, and that's where my space is now is actually I've managed to find somewhere where I think we can provide some of the answers or at least have a go, do you know what I mean, at providing yeah. some of the answers around digital skills and making sure we've got a curriculum that's fit for purpose for mm. all people. Um, and, you know, if you want me to come back in six months and tell you how it's going, then we could maybe do that, yeah? I do. I would love you to because we'll be um, – because by then I'm currently sat in the, 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 the research pile of papers for mine. So, <laughs> you know, mine's going to be looking very much at, you know, how how our views and ideas have developed over tech over the next – the last, you know, s- several centuries of work. And, and really then <laughs> – looking at what our schools right now are using it for so you know um and and i'll be trying to do that nationwide so i can come up with some really clever little algorithms to try and help us improve using a lot of evidence so i think the two of us will probably have a lot to talk about in about six months about where we think we're at then because i think both of us feel that we're at the same place where it's uh it's we need it to be a bit more solid um, and we're trying to work on ways to make it a bit more solid so we, we, you know what need, would your advice de- be to a teacher if they were thinking about you know investing in ed tech or looking at ed tech right now what i'd do is i'd say right what's the problem in the classroom you're trying to solve i'd go back to that what what is the issue and, and the problem in the classroom dig deep into that beyond just say one teacher's classroom but other teachers in the school and say right th- these are our issues and then say, right, how can this technology really help solve those problems for us? And, and make, if you're a leader making that decision, involve everybody at all levels in that process. Um, and I do think community practices are a good way of doing it. It means mm. it's what I what I refer to as distributed digital leadership. Digital leadership is everybody's priority, not just the digital leader in the school. So everybody understands that they've got a part to play in this. In the same way they, they know that numeracy is important and literacy is important. They know that digital is important. Um, so yeah, that, I, that, that's what I'd do. Involve everyone in the school, not just your network support manager, but actually mm-hmm. really start to, the teaching and learning crowd, the people who are really looking at improving quality teaching and asking that question, how can this tech help me become a better quality teacher that, that that's the that's the question you asked isn't it yeah yeah I, i'd agree I'd, I'd probably say that that would be the first thing you know you want to do really is go back and go right and if you don't know necessarily you know go back to your teachers and ask them you know what areas do you dislike most you know what areas do you yeah. feel like that is is increasing workloads that are making your life difficult and yeah. start really questioning whether you a need to do them and B, you know, if you do need to do them, what is the most effective ways to do them? You know, yeah. reduce that workload, you know, and be my first tact, because that does then free you up a bit of room to be able to actually look at areas with tech where that could be beneficial. But it's it's not much use if you're under the cosh of desperately trying to do everything. And tech can improve certain areas for that. So, you know, go ask those questions, streamline. That would be my advice. So we're going to start rounding up. So, John, thank you so much for coming on. As usual, this has been a lovely conversation. You've been ace. So um, please let us know and give us a tweet out if you've got any thoughts over the next two weeks on this one. Uh, And I'll be looking forward to seeing everybody in two weeks' time. So um, lovely to have John today. And thanks very much, Caroline. Thanks, Carl. See you soon. 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.